appreciate uh, the responses we got from some of you folks on uh, text messages and on the Facebook post itself. I was giving this a little bit of a, a heads up just because Sunday morning, generally people like Christian living principles. You know, how do I grow in faith? How do I uh, be diligent? Uh, just many of the Christian living principles, and we, we stay on a lot of those. But the Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 4, it said, And God gave gifts to men. We are in the Christmas season, and as we are giving gifts to others, we can always uh, keep in mind that God gave gifts to us. And those gifts are important, but sometimes we're not as mindful of them as we ought to be. So here's a question for you. You can uh, reply to me on your way out. Or you can send me a, a note. But when was the last time that you actually sought out one in the prophetic ministry to hear what they had to say? We'll seek out teachers. But how often do we seek out those that are in the prophetic ministry? In fact, if I were to ask you who's in the prophetic ministry that you would uh, rely on, I'll bet most would be hard-pressed to give more than one name. Now, if this is a gift that God has given us, then there's something from that gift that is here to minister to us. Something from that gift that we are to get. Pull that verse of Scripture up on the screen, Ephesians chapter 4. I didn't put this in your, your outline, but you can certainly uh, write this down in there. And it says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Not all, but he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, there are things that we need to be brought to the fullness of what God has. Go back to verse 1, one verse 12. Look at that again. He said, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, how many of us want to be involved in the work of ministry? I appreciate the half dozen of you. Now, I'm sure more of you want to be involved in ministry than that. This, this is what we're here for. We don't have to necessarily be in the five-fold ministry, but we're all called into some kind of ministry. And God has, has uh, brought it to us that we can be equipped. Whatever it is that we do in the house, how many know that we're in, um, we're in the kitchen? How many of you like your kitchen gadgets? We all know Ethel does. I enjoy some of the ones. I enjoyed that last one you posted. I, um, I almost went out there and ordered it. <laughs> I'm not even in the kitchen that much, and that interests me. But if you if you have if you're equipped for whatever it is that you're going to do, isn't the work that much easier? Sometimes we can get discouraged in ministry for the Lord because we're not properly equipped. I think I am, but I haven't quite received all the things that I need to receive. There's apparently something from the prophetic ministry that I need, that you need, in order for us to be equipped. And if I'm not actively pursuing that, 
then I will be not as equipped as I could be, and the ministry that I will be doing will be that much more difficult. And could, in turn, discourage me. Now, I bet some of us feel like that if I get to heaven, and I've been, I put everything I could into ministry, and I got discouraged, and just didn't do it as much or quit, that God will say, I saw all that you went through. But what if God gets up there and he says, I had things there to equip you to get you ready, and you didn't go after them. I'd rather find that out now than find that out later. But he said, those five-fold ministries are given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now it says in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20, this is not a prophet speaking, but this is, this is Jehoshaphat telling the people, that they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. It is good that we believe in the Lord. By doing so, we will be established. But if you want to prosper, and by prosper, I don't think he just means getting rich. I think prosper means that whatever it is that you do, you do it well. I want to prosper in the ministry that I do. I want to prosper in the things of God that I discover and find out. There's lots of things to prosper in. Now, what must we do in order to have this verse become a reality in our life? And this is what we're going to set about to to do here. Now, in our recent study of Ezekiel, how many people, if you're bold enough to say, how many people did not go through Ezekiel with us on the Wednesday night? All right. It's, it's up there available for you on the, on the video side. You can get it from Facebook. You can also get it in the podcast. You can get it in the, the sermon.net app. There's all kinds of ways. If you have any trouble getting that, it is a long series, but you will learn a whole lot about the prophet, the prophet's ministry there. I may try and find some that specifically teach about what he did as a prophet's ministry and uh, maybe share some of those. But last week we were looking at the, the gift of discerning of spirits. And we're, we're detouring here on this just because there's a whole lot going on in our world for which the prophet's ministry is equipped to help us. There is a lot of things going on in the area of the prophet's ministry in regard to things about the virus and the things about elections and the things about directions of countries and the things about Israel, peace treaties. There's a whole lot of things going on in the world and there are prophets that are speaking words about this. If you don't know what those prophets are saying, then you are going to be missing some aspects of what you have. A prophet's ministry is not a duplicate of the apostolic ministry. It's not a duplicate of the teaching ministry. It is not a duplicate of the pastor's ministry. Of the five-fold ministry, evangelist, apostle, pastor, teacher, and prophet, of those five-fold ministries... I was going to say that two were, but I was corrected in that. Only one 
is broad in its base. That is the pastor's ministry. If you try to take on the pastor's ministry the way that you take on the prophet, apostle, evangelist, or teacher, you will fail or you will have an unprepared congregation. A pastor must be must be able to go over all of the word, not just the places that he likes. He has to cover it all. And if there are aspects of it that he doesn't feel equipped to, then he needs to have access to people to come on in and to be able to do that. But an apostle is singularly focused on beginning ministries or promoting a message that God had given them. An evangelist is singularly focused on getting people born again. A teacher is often singularly focused on whatever teaching God gave them to do. And they will travel around the different churches teaching on a particular topic that God gave them. A prophet is generally singularly singularly focused on what God has spoken to them. And to the prophet, that word is everything you need. To the evangelist, everything you need is getting people born again. To the apostle, it all centers around that. And it's okay to be able to do that, but you have to begin to, to realize, I, this may be all my focus, but I understand there's other, there's other aspects of it as well. There's things I need to grab from the apostles' ministry, the evangelist ministry, all these different things. Uh, there are things that I need to grab from those. Just because you're born again doesn't mean that the evangelist is done with you. When we get there, we'll... we'll Find out some of the things that are going on with the evangelist. But in the prophet's ministry, I wrote this down. I don't think I have it in your outline. But I felt it important. I I took a lot of notes on this. I've got three open WordPerfect documents on my computer right now. Three completely independent ones. One is 18 pages long. We aren't touching on any of that today. We're touching on the on the other two, which were much shorter. I had to digest all the all the stuff that was in in some of the others. But I had this written down: the prophetic ministry begins in the presence of the Lord. The prophetic ministry begins in the presence of the Lord. More so than any other ministry gift. This one starts in the presence of the Lord because in the presence of the Lord is where they receive the word that they have and they begin to to come on out and they share it. The church must understand the ministry of the prophet in order to get everything from that ministry that they that they ought to. And as we look through the New Testament, we're going to find some mistakes that were made in receiving from this gift. Some of them were corrected. But those mistakes are still some mistakes we make today. Thank God for the word of God that teaches these these things. In Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, I'm just going to read this for you. And actually, I wanted to... I had a little different translation. I wanted to read it from here. Verse 18. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord... And has perceived and heard his word. Who has marked his word and heard it. This is the Lord speaking. Jumping down to verse 23. 
Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide him? I'm sorry, I jumped too far. I wanted to go to 22. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. In verse 21, I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Verse 22, but if they had stood in my counsel, but if they, those prophets, those ones that say they went from his presence, if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. How many of you know there's evil still going on in this world? One of the primary defenses for the body of Christ against evil is the ministry of a prophet. I'm going to show you something from the Word I don't think I've ever taught. But we'll, we'll endeavor to look into some of these things and, and see how, how we do. Now, if you have some feedback you'd like to give me, love to hear it. This, this series, I kind of knew going into this, we weren't going to get a whole lot of feedback. But uh, there's, there's two kinds of feedback I get from you. One is the things you directly tell me, and the other is what comes to me in the Spirit. And both have been extremely low. And so that tells me I'm not quite hitting it there for you. And so I go back to the drawing card. I'm not hitting it there. I'm not getting them woke up on this stuff. And this is important. If we don't operate in these gifts, I know this is not, you know, faith getting to believe God for healing. I know it's not all those kind of things. But if we don't get this, our ministries will be ineffective. Our church will be inequipped. And we will not fulfill what God has for us to do. So it is kind of important. So I am trying to, to, to get it to where I can, I can communicate it all. So we'll, we'll keep going. But here in this one, in the Old Testament, the prophets encourage kings, and we may get into a couple of places where we saw that going on because there's some things to learn from that. But they encourage kings and they rebuke them. We've seen them do both. They did the same for the people. They encouraged the people and they rebuked the people. They gave God's perspective on situations, crises, and public opinions. They gave God's perspective on it. They did not try to teach on it. They gave God's perspective. Huge that you understand that. <coughs> and they used the God-given vo- you, they, they used the God-given viewpoint to aid in their prayers for the people. When God spoke to them and gave them his viewpoint of a thing, they used it as they prayed for the people that were there. You'll see that in the life of Moses. You'll see that in the life of Elijah. You'll see that even in some of the other prophets and the things that they, they said. Jeremiah, you'll see it with him. You'll see it with Ezekiel. They had insight from God and they used that insight in the way they prayed for the people. That's something that is of a, a prophetic ministry. And you say, well, I'm an intercessor. And God gives me not to the degree that he will a prophet. You'll get some insight. But a prophet is unique. If he wasn't unique, he wouldn't be in that list. He is not a pastor. He is not a teacher. He is not an evangelist. And he is not an apostle. He sits in the office of a prophet. And though there are Old Testament prophets, there are still New Testament prophets. And in the New Testament, we're going to see some similar roles with John the Baptist 
as he dealt with Herod and Paul as he dealt with a few kings and the Caesars. But you don't see the same role in the New Testament as the Old Testament. And some people think that the role of the prophet changed. I don't think that it did. Not in that area. I think what happened is in the Old Testament, much of the Old Testament centers around the kings. Especially the historical books. It centers around the kings. And so you see the prophets as they interact with the kings. In the New Testament, we don't center around the Caesars. They're just kind of an afterthought. We center around the church, the apostles, and things like that. So we see the the prophets as they interacted with them, not so much the, the other way around. So I don't know that that wasn't going on. I think we just didn't see it. It's not, not spoken of as, as much. But we do see it some. You'll see most of the prophet's role as it uh, focused on the five-fold ministry. But there are many aspects of the ministry. And some will walk in more than others. Because they've shown themselves to be more faithful. But all, all must reflect the heart and mind of God as one who stood in his presence. When a prophet begins to veer off and become prideful of the fact that he is in the presence, he or she is in the presence of God, they stop reflecting who God is. And it becomes comes dim. Remember Moses, go before the, the Lord. And he would come out shining. He's reflecting because he's in the presence of God. It may not be physically that way with prophets today, but there ought to be a reflection. You ought to see something in them. Instead, a lot of times, we see people who got into the prophet's ministry and fell into pride. That's not reflecting who God is at all. Now, as we said, they become very singularly focused in the word they heard from God. And they believe that word they heard from God is the most important thing. But they have to leave room for other things as well. In um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, this is such an important verse, I put it on the cover of your bulletin. If you're wondering why in the world would I put a verse like that on the cover of your bulletin? This is one of the verses that teaches us about what a prophet is to do. Then the Lord put, put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Speaking about Jeremiah. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. It's not hard to see that four of those words are negative. Two are positive. Now, you can maybe take a blanket uh, situation from there, or maybe it's just more Jeremiah. But certainly with Jeremiah, more of his ministry was negative than it was positive. I don't know that it's that way with all the prophets, but certainly it was with him. And this is the word spoken to him, but these are aspects of the prophet's ministry. Now, I think I forgot to write, finish writing this thing out in yours, but I wrote it in mine. So you can put it in there if you want. But I took all these these aspects and, and broke them. Did, just did some looking up, some some folks that are better on the Hebrew than I am. But uh, the first one here, to root out, to take out what is deeply rooted. There are some things that have become deeply rooted. We see in the Old Testament that many times idolatry had become deeply rooted and a prophet was sent in to try and root that out. 
to expose it. Elijah did a lot of that. Second was to pull down, to bring what is high down low. If you're going to pull something down, you're going to take something that is high up and you're going to pull it down to bring it down to a lower place. These things are, are things that have exalted themselves. They're not godly. They're things like pride, evil, things that are sinful. They have become exalted. Either people have exalted them. They have been exalted by, uh, by kings, individuals, priests, people in ministry, people in the church, whatever it might be. Things have become exalted and the prophet is sent in to pull them down. That's not where they're supposed to be. So to root out, to pull down, but here's another aspect of this. This, I believe, comes from the Hebrew. I saw it in several sources. And that is, this word here, to pull down, means to depress spirits. To depress spirits. Depressing or lowering the, the activity of evil spirits. Depressing or lowering the activity of evil spirits. It seems that a prophet has the power to depress evil spirits and thereby reducing their activity. Now, if you want to see some, some cases with this, do you remember the, uh, we're going to refer to 1 Kings 18 a number of times, but in 1 Kings 18, if you want, go back home and, and read that over. I'm going to tell you a lot about that story, uh, just for time, time's sake. You know, so, some Sundays I get them done and I look at the, I do the, all the editing things. Holy cow, an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> I apologize to God. I said, God, I'm sorry. I kept them too long. <laughs> and, and it's not that you all wouldn't stay. It's just that I don't, I don't want to give too much for the, you don't want too much for your attention span to, 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 to wander off. Anyway, I've, every Sunday it seems like I'm yelling at myself for that. So I thought, doggone. Come on. I thought I did pretty good last week and found out I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, in first, uh, 1 Kings 18, in verse 27. And it was so, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God, either he is meditating or he is busy or he is in a journey or perhaps he is sleeping, must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom. Keep that in mind. With knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Now notice they prophesied. But the, the Bible calls what they did prophecy. It's obviously not God-inspired, because God's not even answering their, their, their request here. But what I want you to see here is if you were a prophet of Baal, and Elijah sets up with you a contest to see who can call fire down from heaven. I don't even know if I've ever thought of this before, but I thought of it here in this one. Would you accept that, that challenge if you had never called fire down from heaven? Would you accept a challenge to do something that you have never done? I don't think they would. I think that Elijah must have picked something that they felt like they could do, knowing that they would accept it. We called down fire before. We can do it again. 
I think they expect to do this. It's kind of like if you were going to have a competition with somebody and the loser buys dinner. And they say, let's, let's have uh, a race. But that's not your thing. And you know you're not going to do very good. Would you accept that? No. <laughs> we're going to go find something else. The very fact that they accepted this challenge from Elijah tells me that they fully expected that they could call down fire and probably had. Because otherwise, why do you accept this challenge? We have to go figure out how to do something we've never done. We don't know if our God will even do it. Now, I'm not saying they're going to call down fire and God is going to answer them. I'm saying they're going to call down fire and their demonic gods are going to answer them. Well, can demonic gods do things? And of course they can. Do you remember when Moses in the book of Exodus came up against Pharaoh? And he did a miracle and what did Pharaoh do? He called for his sorcerers. Those are basically priests to an idol. Called them in. And sometimes they were able to duplicate it. And that hardened Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes they were not able to duplicate it. When we get to the end times, do you think demonic activity will be about what it is today or increased? Probably increased. You are probably looking at more demonic activity during the tribulation period, especially the second half of the tribulation period, than at any time in, in this world's history. And if our supposition is right as to who is called in there, Moses and Elijah, what ministry did they both operate in? The ministry of a prophet. Moses was singled out. I have, there is no prophet that I speak to like Moses. Elijah, we know he's a prophet. We know Elijah's there in the end. I'm pretty sure Moses is, just from the listing of the miracles. If you want to figure out why they get so mad at these particular two, because you would you get mad at two people preaching the gospel? If you were Satan, would you get mad at two people preaching the gospel? Not really. I mean, you'd get somewhat mad at that. I mean, it, it, but you know, people all over the world preaching the gospel. What would make you mad if you were part of Satan's kingdom? What would make you mad at these two? If they could somehow suppress your power. If you were out there doing lying signs and wonders, what the Bible says, and you can do it until those two show up. And it doesn't take too long to figure out, when those two are here, we can't do the stuff we want to do. And I have heard other people say the same thing in some countries where demonic activity is far more outward than it is here. That some of those things, uh, some of those things go on. But here, Elijah is mocking them. He's mocking their God. He knows their God has power, but it pales in comparison to the God of Israel. And he knows that. He said, why are you going to go between two opinions? He said that in the um, verse 21. Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. But he gets there and he, he gives them all the time they want. 
and no fire. And then they begin to cut themselves with knives. The Word of God says, as was their custom. Now, would you cut yourself with knives to bring something about if cutting yourself with knives never did it? Would you do that? Anybody here? Cut yourself. They, not other people cutting them. They would cut themselves with knives so the Word of God says that the blood gushed. We're not talking about a little bit of bleeding. Would you do that? <laughs> Think of yourself as a pagan following after this, this heathen God. Would you do that if that heathen God had not answered you and done some things? Now, Elijah knows he's come into this. But Elijah steps right into it. Go ahead, call him. Do you see Elijah doing any heavy lifting? Is he down there praying hard? No, he's mocking him. I got a picture of him sitting over by the tree, under the shade, watching him, kind of being entertained, maybe laughing at him. Then he starts mocking him. I don't see anybody who's, who's over there in heavy intercession, marching around the city, doing all the different things that people have, have done. Every, every once in a while, you know, you hear people, you talk about, well, we got this stronghold over here. How many of you think if you had hundreds of prophets of Baal, hundreds of prophets of Astra, all around, calling upon, chanting for their God with a king who's on their side, all on the mountain, all the people on the mountain, on which side of the people? The side of Baal. And who is for the Lord? One guy. He even mentions that in the, in the passage. There's only one guy here for the Lord. All the rest of you are for the other side. How many of you would call that a stronghold? How many would see at least the makings of a stronghold there? Hundreds of Baal, Astra prophets calling upon their gods using sorcery, outright sorcery. And they can't get anything done. Why? The only thing we have there is there is one prophet. And it seems the presence of this one prophet suppressed what hundreds of priests of Baal and Asherah could conjure up. He's one. Just there. Not marching. Not praying in tongues. Not singing worship songs. Picture this. Here's what the man of God is doing. Sitting down, mocking them. (laughs) And they can't get anything done. I know we'll have to wait till we get to heaven and see the videotape. But that's one of those scenes I want to see. What was going on? Here in the spirit realm. How much suppression did Moses do in the things that the sorcerers were trying to do? When they came back and they said, we couldn't duplicate this one. Is that because Moses was beginning to learn how to operate in the prophet's ministry? And it suppressed what the evil spirits were trying to do? I don't know. But two people are called into the Latin times and they make somebody mad. It would seem to be it's more along those lines than anything else. 
But this is one of those things that they're, they're there to do. So that's, um, that's just the pull down. So the root out, to pull down, to destroy, which is to demolish, make use, useless, spoil, or kill. To demolish, make useless, useless, spoil, or kill. After he had pulled down what was high up, these people who worshipped Baal. After he pulled that down, these, these things were, were exalted in the eyes of the people. They held these priests in a high place, and he basically pulled them down. What does he do after that? Kill them. And they took them out and executed them all. To destroy. To throw down. Now to throw down is to cause something one is holding to drop. He said, You're a, why are you holding on to two opinions? Why are you holding on to an opinion that Baal is right? If Baal's right, worship him. If God is right, worship him. He took what was in their hands and got them to throw it down. They cast it down. They killed the prophets. To build, basically to, to construct, establish, or cause to increase. Now it had not rained for many days in Israel because Elijah had said, it shall not rain except at my word. So there's a case where the prophet came in and he suppressed rain. He suppressed it. You think the devil can try and do some things to get some rain crowds over there? Don't you think he would have wanted to? To show that God's word isn't right? Don't you think the devil would have wanted to send rain crowds into the place of Israel over those three and a half years? What kept it out? It would seem to be Elijah. He said, it will not rain except at my word. He didn't say it will rain and Unless I give up this battle. Unless I stop interceding. He said, no. I gave the word, it shall not rain. And that word, he doesn't look at this like it's a, some kind of a stronghold, some kind of thing he's got to keep coming in here and battling. He said it. God said it to him. He spoke it. When he spoke it, it's done. He said, it won't happen until my word. Don't you think the devil said, you know this isn't going to happen. You know, eventually the rain's going to come. How many times he had to tell the devil... It will not rain until I say so. If, he, if it's anything like you and me, you know the devil was trying to, to get him to doubt that. But to build and to plant. Elijah first off rooted out the idolatry that was going on, exposed it. Now he's going to plant things about the true God. Fortunately for the people, they didn't let it grow to the degree that it should. Now just take a look at some New Testament examples here. We're just going to look at a few. In Acts chapter 9, verse 11, this is not a prophet. He is not represented as a prophet. He is not represented later as a prophet. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So Paul's already had a vision. In that vision, he saw a man come and he saw the, he saw or heard the name of the man, Ananias. Wouldn't you like to have a vision like that? Paul's just turned his life over to, to God. Well, I haven't been born again that long. I don't think God will move with me in the, these areas. Apparently, that's not so. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. And so when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now this does not identify him as a prophet. It identifies him as a disciple. But some of what he's doing isn't that the role of a prophet. What's curious to me, I, I don't know if I've ever asked this before, but I said, Father God, I know some of the names of the prophets that are named in the New Testament. I know they were present. Why didn't you use one of them? Now, I don't know that I have a straight answer on that. But I wonder, did God present this to some of the prophets and they turned him down? Did they give the same kind of argument that, that this man did, this disciple did? And say, no, no. <laughs> did they do that and not go? Did they take the attitude of Jonah? We'd rather see him die <laughs> then to get saved. I don't know. I don't know for sure that God went to any of the prophets and told them this. But to me, it would seem like this is a role for a prophet. Paul is being called into a hefty ministry. You would think a prophet would send him off into that. When you have people in the Old Testament who are called into big ministries... Who was the one who announced it? The prophet. Prophet came, anointed them, spoke to them about what God was going to do. Saul was anointed. David was anointed. Others were anointed. So I don't know if they were approached and just said no. But anyway, this man goes. He gives his argument before God and God gives his argument back. I want you to notice something about this, though. But the Lord said to him, verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. Right now we've been bearing his name before Jews. Before Gentiles, before kings, and the children of Israel. They were third in the list. Gentiles was first. Kings was next. 
for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now look at verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Do you see any place where Ananias shared with him what God told him about his ministry? I don't. Acts 22, verse 12. This is Paul recounting what happened to him. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, he doesn't call him a prophet either, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. In that same hour, I looked up at him. Do you see anything that Paul mentions that Ananias told him that he was going to be before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Or that he would suffer many things. I don't see it either. I'm not saying that he didn't share it. It's just kind of interesting to note that it's not there. It's not told of. Now, Ananias was not told to tell him that. God just told him so that he would know this is why I'm sending them to you. And it seems that Ananias had enough sense to say what God told him to say and not anything else. So that's one case. But of course, he wasn't a prophet. Let's go into Acts chapter 11. This is a prophet. Verse 27. And in, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Well, Antioch is the new hip place. It used to be Jerusalem was the place. Now Antioch is the place. This is where, you know, much is going on. God's moving. And so prophets from Jerusalem were making their way over. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, if you've got prophets, plural, coming from Jerusalem to Antioch, how many of you would think that more than just Agabus had something to say? Anybody think that? So it would seem that probably prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch and had other words. Other words that they spoke, other words that they said. But this is the one that's recorded. So there may have been other things that were spoken, other things that were said, but they had significance for the people there. This had significance, a greater significance, and so this is the one that was was shared. But look at what he says. He gets up in the congregation. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Where is the famine going to be? Throughout all the world. What did they decide to do? Send stuff to Jerusalem. How many of you if you got this word, would start putting things in the basement. <laughs> Getting ready. Because if it's going to hit the world, it's going to hit Antioch. But their first response was, let's take care of Jerusalem. That is interesting. But notice the word that comes from the prophet. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. 
generally a prophet speaks words of prophecy that tell what is going to be, not what to do. You go through the Old Testament, you go through the New Testament. Most of the times that a prophet speaks a message, it is what is going to be, not anything about what to do about it. Go all the way back into the Old Testament. When Joseph interpreted a dream, what did the dream tell them? What was going to be. When Daniel received visions and, and futuristic prophecies, what is he told? What is going to be? When Ezekiel and all the words that he was given was given prophecies about the cities that would fall, about Jerusalem, he was given prophecies about what was going to be. When Jeremiah got words from the Lord, what did he tell him? What was going to be? Go through the minor prophets. Look at Amos. Look at other ones. They spoke about what was going to be. When Jonah goes to Nineveh, what's he say? What is going to be? When John the Baptist shows up, What's he say? What is going to be? When John steps into the role of a prophet, what does he speak? What is going to be? Now, I can keep going with this, but we'll stop there. (laughs) A prophet's role is to speak the words of God that come to him about what is going to be. Now, go back to our first scripture. Where is that? Can you pull that back up? Um, second, uh, no, go back to, uh, Chronicles. Did we go off the, off the earth? <laughs> ah, there we go. Alright, I think I can jump on over there to it. I just want to read it exactly for you. This is Jehoshaphat speaking. Hear me, O Judah, Second Chronicles 20.20, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Why is prospering associated with the prophet's ministry? Because a prophet will tell you what is going to be. You are established in what is. But you prosper with what is going to be. How many remember that, uh, that movie that went out, um, Back to the Future? You remember the bully? What's his name? Biff? Something like that. How did he become prosperous? Because he went into the future and got a sports book, sports encyclopedia, and then came back to the present and used a book that told him what 
was going to be and used it to prosper. You see, if you hear the words of the prophet determine the prophet is of God and determine the right course of action, the words of a prophet more so than any other will cause you to prosper. Not be established. The prophet won't cause you to be established. That's not his role. The role for an establishment is in the apostles, teachers, and pastors. But the prophet, his role is different. If I want what is from that role, I have to go glean some things from the prophet. How are we doing? I'm going to be bad again today, I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to hurry up through this. No, this was going to happen. I say all that, build all that up for this. I don't care how mature you are, how much of the words you have, how much of the gifts are flowing in you. There are still some times that the word of the prophet will catch you by surprise and will alert you to things that you did not know were coming. Because that's their role. That's what they do. And you see it go on right here. The only person I could say it possibly this does not take by surprise is Paul. I don't know that it didn't take him by surprise. But I know that he didn't clamor on with the same interpretation everybody else did. He said, God, this is what I'm called for. I'm supposed to do this. This is this is all right. We're still going. And he wouldn't be deterred. And he went on, and we know that he, uh, he, of course, went into prison. A prophet will call attention to something coming that others do not see, even though they are mature, in ministry, and effectively walking in their calling. The interpretation here, and very often happens in the church today. The interpretation that we see in this scripture comes from a flesh reaction, not spiritual insight. It comes from a flesh reaction, not spiritual insight. These people reacted in their flesh because they loved Paul. They needed Paul. They wanted Paul to be around. And the news that he would be Imprisoned, taken away from them, they didn't, they didn't like it. And so they reacted with their flesh. These are spiritual people. People who've been around Paul. Who are, you're getting a real good diet of stuff. Have a flesh reaction. Alright, let's wrap this up. First off, be thankful for the gift of prophets. They can sometimes be weird. If you've not met some prophets, I will tell you right now, I have met some prophets and some, not all, but some prophets can just be downright weird. When I look at the prophets that are in the Word of God, I don't think I would hang out with Elijah. I'm pretty sure I would enjoy being in the meeting and hearing the things that are said. And then I would leave. <laughs> I just don't know that uh, that we would we would hit it off too well. 
I think our personalities are just a little bit too different. Jeremiah, I could get on, get on with a little bit more. But, um, I don't know, Elijah, I, the more I read about him, it's just like, you know what? I appreciate your ministry. I really like the things you do, but you're just a little weird for me. He is a little odd. But anyway, I don't know. I haven't met him. But sometimes in order to accomplish the things that God wants you to do, you gotta be a little weird. You can't be like everyone else. Elijah had to face stuff that none of us have ever had to face. He had to face leaders who want to kill him. He had to face whole nations against him. And if being a little weird helped him to get it done, all that, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. But be thankful for the gift of prophets. I gotta get to that. Don't let me forget that note. They will call attention to what you have not yet seen. Once aware, you have to seek for spiritual application, but know that your flesh will rise up and speak. Just know it. Flesh applications do not mean the prophet was wrong, just the people who heard it. Please keep that in mind. That I don't think I wrote that. No, I had to take all those things out. If you can, write that down somewhere because it helped me out to, to learn this. Flesh applications to what the prophet says do not mean the prophet was wrong, just the people who heard it. When Agabus comes down to the city and he delivers the word, the word was right. But the people's application was wrong. That had no bearing on Agabus. Agabus gave the right word. The people put the wrong application on it and made the word look bad. All right, here's that note. I didn't get this till later. A mature person is one who can hear a word from God that their flesh or reasoning does not agree with. See God in it and press in to get the correct spiritual application. That is a mature person. Immature people cannot get past their flesh, how their flesh responds to what the prophecy says or how the prophecy was delivered. But a mature person can get past all that, see that God is in it and press in to get the right application. Now, if you were Paul, would you have stood against that the uh, application that these folks were trying to put on? Would you have stood against it? Sometimes peer pressure comes upon us and we give in to what the peer pressure is for the application for that particular word. Don't be doing that. Paul stood up against it. Seemed to have no trouble standing up against it. Not listening to prophets will not hinder you from maturity as much as will leave you unprepared. The maturity comes from the believing in God and the believing in the principles of God. That's where the maturity comes. If you don't go after prophets, if you don't get the things that they have to say, it won't leave you for lack of maturing, but it will leave you unprepared, thus not prospering. Proper interpretation is as important as the prophecy itself. The wrong interpretation will leave us unprepared just as much as not hearing it at all. Understand that. If I had the wrong interpretation of a right prophecy, I will be just as unprepared as someone who never heard it. 
if Joseph had not put the right application on those two dreams, when the seven years was up, they would have been just as unprepared as if no one had ever interpreted the dream. Now, how to know the true from the false? First off, I have to get out of the realm of reason and flesh. You have to get out of the realm of reason and flesh because right now, more Christians determine what is true by their flesh and by reason than any other way. They listen to the prophecy. Does it agree with me? Do I like what the prophecy says? Can I reason in my mind why that is right? And that is a level that most people judge prophecy on. And if that's the level that you stay on, you will fail almost every time, if not every time. And prophecy will not bring you into a place to prosper. To prosper, And it will not prepare you. You have to get out of that realm. What appeals to my flesh, what I agree with, you, you have to be able to hear something that I do not agree with, I do not think is right, but in my spirit it's saying, yeah. But my flesh is saying, I hate this. I don't like this. I don't want to hear this. But I know God's behind it, so I press in. I can sometimes just try and reason the thing out. Well, I know this in the Word and this in the Word, and I try and reason it all out. That's not going to get you there. Just because it is beyond my level of understanding doesn't mean it's wrong. That is something you have to understand about prophecy. It may be beyond your level of understanding, But just because it is, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. There are many times in the Word of God where a prophecy was given and the people did not understand it. There's times that Daniel was given a vision. He did not understand it. The angel was sent. What are the words that the angel was, was, that the angel said to Daniel? I was sent. This was his orders. Make him understand the vision. There were some words that came to Daniel that so upset him in his flesh realm and his understanding realm that he got physically sick. But he stayed with it because he was a mature guy, mature believer. I have to get into the realm of of spiritual revelation. My spirit bears witness with what is true. That's what I have to get at and warns of what is false. The more I know God, the more I should recognize His hand on His servants and in the words given. This is what I have to look for when I am trying to determine, is this of God? Is the hand of God on this servant? Do I see the hand of God in the words? I don't understand the words. I don't like the words. But do I see the hand of God in these words? The more I know about God, the more I should be able to recognize His hand on things that I don't agree with. You want to find out how much you know about your God? You'll know it when you can see His hand on something that rubs you the wrong way. God, I don't like this. I wish this wasn't going to be true, but I know I recognize your hand. I know this came from you. So I need to take what I need to take from this. And to, um, and to go on. That's, that's important. That's a sign of a mature person. That's where we need to go.
there's many things going on in prophecy today. And um, I was thinking we would take some time and look at some of those, but we're we're way beyond the time anyway. So if it's if it's okay with you, we'll flow over to another week. But what a prophet does in this day and age, they will call our attention to end time events because prophecy continually goes over end time events. It will call our attention to things going on in Jerusalem because we are getting ready to shift back time from the church age to the Jewish age where everything revolves around Israel. It will tell us things that are going on in our own country. Because God through prophecy has constantly dealt with kings and leaders and those in authority. It would tell us things that are going on in the church because we spent some weeks looking at prophecies that were given to the church. And we need to learn, learn from these things. But a true word from God does not contain the interpretation. That comes from the realm of the Spirit. This is, don't, don't go up to a prophet. Explain yourself. That is not his role. His role is to proclaim the words of God that he gets. His role is to get before God, hear the words, and come on down and to speak them. And it should be that as these prophets are before the throne of God, however they are, some get visions, some have dreams, some hear in their spirit, some have are taken there directly, whatever way that, that it goes on. We see all these kind of ways go on in the, in the Bible. But as that goes on, and they come on back, they should reflect the presence of God. We should see something of the, of the presence of God in what they're doing. When I recognize the hand of God, then I need to stay there and, and tough it out. I need to overcome my flesh. That's the mature person. God, I don't, I don't like that you want to go this direction. I don't like that you want to go this way. But I see that this is what you're saying. And I need to press in and find out what's going on. Because the role of the prophet, there are prophets out there, and we have access to more things that are going on in the area of prophecy than probably at any time in history. You can go on YouTube and look at different things that are going on with prophets. Of course, not all that is is beneficial. But there are some in the body of Christ today that have a beneficial word. They don't present it like a teacher because they are not a teacher. They don't present it like a pastor because they're not a pastor. They don't present it like an apostle because they're not an apostle. Brother Hagin shared this with us way back when we were in school and I heard him say it many times after. He said it is possible to stand in the two offices of the fivefold ministry. But he said it is not possible to stand in the office of a pastor and a prophet at the same time. Now this from a man who stood in the office of a pastor left that to stand in the office of a prophet. And he said they are not compatible. Not that they're not beneficial for each other. They just aren't compatible. The more you understand about the ministry of a prophet, the more you can see that. See, a pastor, if he gets a word from God, he's going to try and explain it to you. 
He's going to try and you know go through the Word of God and show you how to apply this and how to learn. That's not the role of the of the prophet. The prophet is speak what God is going to do. Just this is what God this is what God has said. This is what God is going to do. Just speak it. That's it. And a prophet can do that. He can just get up and he can just speak it. He feels no inclination to explain it to you. Teach you. None at all. Agabus gets there. He feels no inclination at all to teach them or to explain this word he has just given them. He just spits it out there. They're all going with this weird interpretation. I don't see that Agabus gets up and corrects them. He may not know any more than what he said. (laughs) But he said what he knew. Now, a prophet can hear the word of God and be satisfied with it and go. You get somebody who's in the office of a pastor, teacher, sometimes even an apostle, and you get that word from God and it's, and it's, it's like God has started you on a hunt. And until I am finished that hunt, we are not ready to talk about what God said. But a prophet doesn't do that. A prophet goes to God, hears it, comes on down, here it is. That's it. That is unique, it's necessary, and it's important. Would y'all stand up with me? Well, this week, I hope you get to do some of the things that I got to do. Go out there and listen to some of the, some of the words, some of the things given on, on prophecy, on, on prophets. I've listened to some prophets and, uh, you know, the, the teacher in me, it kind of gets frustrated listening to prophets. Cause it's just, they're just saying stuff. All they're doing, God, they're just saying stuff. <laughs> but I need to have them say say that stuff. You see, sometimes, like this group with, with Paul, they didn't know any of this was going to happen. And he said some stuff, made them all aware. They didn't like what they heard, but they now became all aware. This is what's going on. And they were prepared for what came next. When they heard that Paul was in prison... It didn't take them by surprise. It didn't shock them. It didn't say, where is God? They knew. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Well, Father, we thank you for the words of prophets. We thank you for that gift that you have put into the body of Christ. We may not have taken advantage of that gift all that we should. We not, may not have sought that gift And perhaps it is that you have called some here to be in that office of a prophet, but they have not done the things necessary to pursue it. This office is not unnecessary. It's not outdated. It's not less than any of the others. It is unique in what it does and what it prepares your people for. I thank you for that office. Thank you for that ministry gift of the prophet. And as we spend time listening to some things prophets of today are saying, thank you that you give us the ability to discern the right and the wrong, the true from the false. We go beyond the words that they speak and see your hand in what they say or your hand on them. 
For we know our God, and we should be able to recognize Him when we see Him in operation in others. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.